Well, good morning. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm not a guest speaker. I work here, if you don't know, because you probably haven't met. My name is Nick. Uh, If you and I haven't had a chance to meet, I'm one of the youth pastors here at Cross Creek. If you have a student ages 6th grade through 12th grade, and they come hang out with us across the creek, either on Sunday morning or on Wednesday nights, they've seen me, interacted with me, and I've interacted back with them. Uh, But I don't get to talk to adults very much, so I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It wasn't even really your decision, but I'm here, so thank you. But I want to let you know, um, I want to introduce you a little bit to my family. So I have a picture up here on the screen behind me. Uh, This is my family. My wife, Amanda, and I have been married over 10 years. Um, We've been together for like 16. Um, In the front there with the glasses and my little mini-me, that's Hudson. Him and I, everyone thinks we're identical. I think he's just trying to copy me. And then Jude is our youngest, um, and he has a birthday coming up here in about 10 days or so. And if you look real close at this picture, he's got a little chocolate in the corner of his mouth. So I think he was just pre-celebrating his birthday. Uh, my wife, Amanda, she grew up her entire life uh, in the Southwest Ohio area. So Cincinnati, Dayton area. I grew up kind of all over the Midwest, but Settled in Ohio. Uh, I moved there when I was in eighth grade and lived there up until not too long ago. Uh, We met, like I said, 16 years ago, and we've done ministry in a variety of different contexts, but all in the Midwest. And so Ohio, and then eventually, most recently, before we moved here, we were in a place called Chicago. You've probably heard of it. Uh, We're Midwestern people, but Midwest has this thing that we didn't like very much called winter. And so uh, a couple years ago, this is a picture from my front lawn, legitimately. This is our mailbox, okay, that my oldest son Hudson is sitting on. He didn't like climb it or like build that, like that snow just drifted to that. And that's how tall it was. And to prove it, I have a side angle. So you know, I'm not just making it up. And so yes, we experienced all the things winter and I came here and everyone here has assured me that you guys have winter, but you didn't have that. And so therefore, here we are. Um, But in addition to that, right, so we got winter, get away from that. Now we come here to Texas. And then uh, not too long ago, my wife and I, my wife is a nurse. I'm a youth pastor, obviously. The two of us, we went to summer camp, Cross Creek Students Summer Camp. Um, It was a great week. It was, uh, I don't know, three weeks ago, two weeks ago, something like that. But it was kind of like the first heat wave of the summer here in Texas. And so it was our, as Midwesterners, first time experiencing Texas summer camp and Texas heat. So I said, my wife's a nurse. She came prepared, obviously. She's amazing. But nine times out of 10, if a student came to her with an ailment, it was because this thing that they would do where they wouldn't drink water. They thought that they could get by on soda and lemonade and sweet tea. And so they'd come to her and they're like, I'm not feeling too good. And she's like, well, have you had any water? And they're like, well, no, but I'm drinking lemonade. I'm drinking all the sugary things, right? And so we found ourselves in a lot of times here at camp in the Texas heat, we found ourselves our students feeling like they just needed a drink of water. Like they were just feeling a little spiritually dry. That was physically dry. But spiritually, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Right? So we're in this series called Peaks and Valleys. And we're going to be in the book of Psalms, verse 40, or chapter 42, I should say. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 42. And uh, as I said, just like a Texas summer camp, there might be times in your spiritual life 
and in your relationship with God where you're feeling a little empty or you're feeling like he's not there or he's not hearing you or spiritually dry or however you want to classify it, but it's just not feeling like you want it to or maybe like it used to, all right? So if you turn there in the book of Psalms, you might see uh, at the top of it a little header. So in the book of Psalms, there are 150 different chapters. It's our longest, there's the most chapters of any book of the Bible. It's broken up into five different books. And so this in in chapter 42 is actually the first book um, in the second collection of books here. So the first book is uh, Psalms 1 through 41. Then we have verse uh, chapter 42, I should say, through 72. The rest of it goes 73 through 89, 90 through 106, and then uh, the fifth book is 107 through 150. So this is the first one of the second book, okay? If I were to ask you who wrote the book of Psalms, most people would respond with David, but there's 150 different ones. And so David wrote a majority, David wrote a lot of them, but he didn't write all of them. And this one here, again, you may have a header, but it might say something about the holy writing of the sons of Korah. And if you're anything like me, you had no idea who the sons of Korah are, because I didn't. And so I was like, oh, that's interesting. What's that? So the sons of Korah actually penned Psalm 42 through 49, and then 84, 85, 87, and 88. And you can read about who Korah is in Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. But who he was, was he was a person who was rebelling against God, against the Israelite people during the time of Moses. And what I think is so awesome, what I think is so fascinating, is that in God's holiness, his sovereignty, and his grace, we have a descendant of someone who was vehemently opposed, someone who was an enemy of God at one point in his history, who now are writing a book or a chapter in the book of Psalms that we now, hundreds, thousands of years later, get to read and experience that. And I just think that's an attribution to how great God's grace is. So let's read Psalm 42 together. And we're going to be, like I said, diving into this idea of what if we are feeling spiritually empty or dry? That may be you today, or you may be like, you know what, I'm feeling good. But I'm just gonna tell you, at one point in time, life's gonna hit you and this is going to matter. So let's set, check out what the sons of Korah say. Psalm 42 goes like this. It starts like this in verse one. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? Verse three, my tears have been my food day and night. And while all day long, people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart and how I walked with many leading the festive processions in the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Verse five, why my soul are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God for I will still praise him, my savior and my God. I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Verse seven says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your billows have swept over me. The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. And I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? Verse 10 uh, says, 
You know what? Mine just went out on me. It says, where are you, my God? Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. So here's what you can see here, right? This writer, I feel like, is experiencing this kind of tug of war, right? He's like, my life is so difficult, so hard, I'm feeling so empty, so far away. But then we also see, right, him lean in and kind of do the right thing and say the right thing. And I don't know about you, but I've definitely been there. Where like intellectually at a head level, I know the right answer. I know the right thing to do. However, in my feelings, in my heart, in my soul, I don't feel like doing it. I'm feeling dejected. I'm feeling depressed. I'm feeling hopeless. Uh, Maybe you feel that way now. Maybe you felt that at times, right? And I just want to say this kind of back and forth. A lot of times this can be the tension between what we know and what our heart says and tells us. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? See, the Bible tells us that our heart is full of deception, that our heart is deceitful, and that it wants to lead us astray. It reminds me of this meme that I saw the other day. And as a youth pastor, I could definitely relate. It says this, it says 13 year old in youth group. I love her with all my heart. Youth pastor, well, tell your heart, shut up. Don't listen to it. It's a liar, okay? And what I wanna say and what I wanna point out from this passage that we just read in Psalm 42 is that God is never too far away. God is never too far away. Look back with me at verse six, if you don't mind. In verse six, he says, I am deeply depressed. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon and Mount Mazar. Now, for those of you who aren't geographical scholars and have Israel completely memorized, myself included, because I got this tidbit from Pastor Craig, Mount Hermon is actually, if you look at a map here, Mount Hermon is actually the northernmost point in all of the nation of Israel. And so if you were in the original audience reading this, you would hear Hermon and you would think, wow, that's far. That's all the way up there, right? But we read it and it doesn't necessarily register that same way unless maybe you knew that or you've been there before, right? And so in a lot of ways, it's, it's, it's similar to when I tell you, right? Like, hey, I moved from Chicago. You're like, whoa, that's, that's far, right? So when I moved here from the Midwest, about a year ago it was, like last July, is when I came down here to Texas and I had my interview for this, this job. And I was sitting on Pastor Glenn's patio, his porch at his house, and we were having dinner and some of the student ministry volunteers, some staff were there uh, grilling me. I mean, just asking me questions nicely in an interview. Uh, but one of the questions that they asked me is they said, hey, Nick, what's your biggest fear or what's your number one hesitation with coming here to to Cross Creek. I mean, at the time it was, you know, first Colleyville. What's your biggest hesitation? And I was like, the distance, right? Like everything else is great, but it's just really far. And as I stand here today, aside from my immediate family of my wife and boys, like I'm 850 miles from anyone else in my family. So I say that and you hear that and you immediately register like, oh, that's, that's far. That's what the writer is doing here. 
Mount Hermon is as far away in Israel as you can get. And so when he says he's feeling that way, not only is he physically distant, but spiritually he feels like God is distant and God is far. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there now. One of my all-time favorite verses comes from the book of James Chapter four, verse eight, where James says, come close to God and God will come close to you. What I love about this verse is that it reminds us that if we're feeling distant, if we're feeling empty, if we're feeling dry, it's not because of God, it's because of us. But the agency, the control, the ability for us to draw near to God is there and he promises that he too will draw near to us. So even if we're feeling dry, even if we're feeling distant, God promises that he will come to us. However, let me say this. There's this ideology woven into our thinking. I think it's it's a human thing. Maybe it's an American thing. And don't get me wrong. I love America. I'm an American. I married an American. I celebrated the 4th of July last week watching fireworks to celebrate America. But I also bought a house last year. And I signed about 136 different pieces of paper that got me about 200 and something different insurances to make sure that I'm not to blame. Because we like to make sure that somebody else is to blame, right? Like the water goes out and our house is flooded. Well, it's probably the city water. It's probably their fault. They need to take care of it. Or have you checked your home warranty? If your home warranty won't cover it, maybe homeowner's insurance will cover it, right? And that's how we like to think. We think if there's a problem, I push a button, I go to a certain place and someone else comes in and fixes it. And sometimes we can carry that line of thinking into our spiritual lives as well, right? Like, oh, you're feeling far and distant from God. Well, have you prayed? Have you read your Bible? Have you gone to church? Have you confessed your sins? Are you in a connect group? Because if you're doing those things, then you should be good. And that's what we do is, do we not? And so what I want to say is that when we look at Psalm 42 here, There's really nothing in here that that communicates to me that this guy's doing anything quote unquote wrong. He's just dry. He's just empty and he's just feeling distant. And sometimes we do all the things. We read our Bible, we pray, we go to connect group, we confess our sins. And yet we still feel dry. And the reason I love this is because it's just real. It's just how it is sometimes. Because I know I've been there And I just want to give you the permission to say, hey, it's okay if you've been there. But let's not stay there, okay? And it's okay, you're not a lesser Christian, you haven't done anything wrong, but there may be some things that are contributing to that spiritual dryness. So as human beings, we are multifaceted, we're multidimensional, we're not just like one-track types of people. There are all kinds of different things and areas and lanes in our life. And so I want to point out three areas that may be contributing to spiritual emptiness or spiritual dryness. The first one is this. It may be emotional or it may come emotionally, all right? The psalmist here talks a lot, I don't know if you remember, but he talks a lot about remembering the way in which it used to be. He says, I would walk among the crowds of the worshipers. And now, for whatever reason, he's up on Mount Hermon. Not only physically distant, but also his community, his emotional support system has been disrupted. 
We don't know what's brought him there. We don't know why he's up there. But for whatever reason, his emotional and, and his ability to kind of connect with other people has been upset some way, shape or form. And maybe if you and I are experiencing that, maybe emotionally speaking, there's something going on. I want to show to you a stat about Generation Z from a recent Barna study. Um, now, Generation Z, quick side note, the, the, the scale is kind of sliding, it's kind of moving. It depends on who you read, okay? But a lot of people assume, because I'm a youth pastor, like Gen Z, that's your guys' people. You guys deal with that. Actually, the like youngest kind of bottom edge of the barrel of Gen Z is a uh, freshman in high school, believe it or not. And they go all the way up to like 24, 25 years old. So I say that to say, because like our, our middle schoolers, 6th, 7th, 8th graders, they're actually under a different classification now called Generation Alpha. So that means that this demographic is a part of the adult population of Cross Creek Church, of any church in America. So a couple of things I want to point out about that because they're in and among us, they're young adults, young professionals, maybe getting married, college students, 50%, you look at that line in the middle of the graph, 50% at one point have doubted their faith in one way or another. One in two. And greater than 50% is say, long for community where they can authentically talk about their spiritual beliefs. And I just wonder if those might be connected. If the doubt comes because there's a lack of community, a lack of an outlet. And that's what we see in Psalm 42, right? His emotional, his community, he's physically distant. He's no longer there in that vibrant community that he once was. And he's saying, I'm now feeling it spiritually dry. It can be a contributing factor to this spiritual dryness. I just want to say, whether you're Generation Z or not, can we just be honest that deep down we all want a place to belong? A place that feels like home, a place that we know we're safe and we can be honest and we can be vulnerable and we can be our real authentic selves. See, if you're in here today and you are not feeling this way, maybe the challenge for you would be to look around for people who are feeling emotionally disconnected and that might be contributing to spiritual dryness because we need each other. And if you are in here and you're like, I am kind of feeling this way, then maybe while all the things, right, pray, go to church, like all those things are very individualistic, there's also a corporate element to it, an element of corporate worship. Are you attending corporately? Are you corporately in community? Are you engaging in the reading of scripture corporately, the confession of sins corporately? Because those things also matter as well. So maybe where you are emotionally, and at least in this psalmist's case, where he was emotionally, is contributing to how he's feeling spiritually. The other facet, of course, is spiritually speaking, okay? And so the psalmist here, what's, what's driving this, though, I think, is that the psalmist, you see, he's like disillusioned by some of the circumstances that have come across him in his life. Look back with me at verse 3 in Psalm 42. He says, where is your God? He's asking this big existential question. And in verse 9, if you go down to verse 9, he says, why have you forgotten me? We don't know the specifics of what's causing him to question and wonder, but we do know that life has hit this guy hard for one reason or another. 
I, we've seen it before, have we not? Where someone either like gives their life to Christ for the first time, or maybe they take a big, bold, obedient step of faith in their walk with Jesus. And then the next year, two, three years, like right there in that immediate time, right after they make that big decision or big declaration, life just hits them hard. And it's not anything they've done, but just, you know, life can be difficult and the circumstances and the winds of life can come at you. And that person might think, man, it was better before I did this, right? We know Jesus reminds us, he says, hey, listen, in this world, you will have trouble. And while we may know that intellectually, the circumstances of life still may make us feel a certain way, disillusioned, questioning, wondering where we are. And if life has been extra challenging to you, if life's not going the way you've planned, if you're living out a plan B or C or D scenario in your life, I just wanna say, while that is to be expected, it's okay that it's difficult and that it can just frankly leave you feeling sad, bummed out, and that can contribute to spiritual dryness. But I wanna point something out. I want you to notice something about the writer here in, in Psalm 42. While he's wrestling, he feels comfortable enough to ask some of these big, bold questions to God. And that's why I think community is so important. A place where you can be real and bring some of those questions bring some of those concerns and just say, man, I am struggling. And he does that. He wants to do that in community. And he's also doing this with God. The third area, the third facet, if you will. So we got emotionally, we have spiritually. And the third one is physically. And so this third area, you may miss it, but in verse three, look back with me at what he says in verse three. He says, day and night, I have only my tears for food. The phrase day and night communicates to me that he's not just experiencing this in day, he's also experiencing it in night, which means he's not sleeping or he's not getting very good sleep, right? And in addition to that, it says he's not eating. He has only his tears for food. Not food for food, but tears for food. And I don't think there's one person in here, if we claim and say we're a follower of Jesus, not one person in here who would say, Neglecting our physical health doesn't matter, right? Our body is a temple. We know this thing. But what can happen as humans, because we're multifaceted, we're an emotional being, we're a spiritual being, and we're a physical being, we can neglect things like nutrition and sleep and eat a bad diet and quit exercising. And sometimes those things can also usher in a season of spiritual dryness. And so as humans, here's what we like to do with these three facets. We like to perseverate on or focus on just one. Oh, you're feeling like tired out emotionally? Well, you need to go find a counselor and just pour your heart out and let them know everything. Oh, you're not feeling right spiritually? Well, then you definitely, you need to go to church, go to a connect group, like those things, that'll solve it. Or, oh, you're not feeling right physically. Okay, you need to make sure you're getting enough sleep. Here's a pill, this will help, right? Like there's all kinds of different ways that we try to solve these things. But what I love about this passage is that it's an all encompassing moment for this guy. And that's the same that's true of us. And so, we know these things, these three facets. It may not just be, I'm not going to church enough. I'm not, whatever. It may be physically, it may be emotionally. There may be circumstances of life that have caused you to, to question and doubt. While that may be what causes the spiritual dryness, what do we do about it? 
All right, we know the cause now. Let's look at some solutions that we also see here in Psalm 42. So I have three things for you. The first one, if you're feeling dry spiritually, I want to challenge you and encourage you and ask you to analyze your hope. Look what the psalmist says in verse five. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Those are questions of analyzing what's going on. Put your hope in God for I will still praise him, my savior and my God. He's looking inward for things in his life that may be inordinate loves. Now, now that he's found himself dry, there may be idols that he was worshiping or had on some sort of like pedestal in his life that aren't there anymore. And he's asking, why am I so dejected? And if you're in a season of spiritual dryness, it's a great time to analyze where your hope truly lies. Again, as followers of Christ, intellectually, we know it should be Jesus, but practically it may not be there, right? When I was in high school, still am, unfortunately, but when I was in high school, I was a huge Indianapolis Colts fan. I grew up in Indiana in the days of Peyton Manning and uh, fell in love with him and the team and all the things. And while this is a little bit of a silly example, I found out that I had put my hope in the Colts. And here's how I found it out. A good thing happened. And yet still I was like, man, my hope is way out of whack because they won the Super Bowl. That's what did it. And you might be thinking, bro, that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go win the Super Bowl. How does that make you dejected and all the things? Because here's what I realized. I was rooting for them. I was cheering them on. I was watching how they built their team every year through the draft, just like nerding out about it. And then they finally won. We'd reached the top. And you know what had to happen the next day? I was in high school. You know what happened? I had to wake up early the next morning and go to basketball practice. And you know, my teammates knew I was a Colts fan. So like, hey, Nick, Colts, woo. And I'm like, yeah. But they still made me practice. Like they still made me run suicides. I didn't get out of any of that. Like it was still just a normal day. And after the first like hour of talking about the game, my life went right back to usual. And I realized, man, that didn't really satisfy the way I hoped it would. And while that's a silly example at sports, I mean, I'm sure you guys get it, Cowboys fans and stuff. Um, there may be something deeper than just sports where you have placed your hope in. And maybe that season of spiritual dryness is becoming that way because you've put, placed your hope in something other than God. But what I want you to notice here in the rest of this verse is that he says, he's asking these questions, he's looking for information, but he says, put your hope in God. He redirects his heart. And we know our heart is deceptive and deceitfully wicked and lies to us. And so he's looking for the answer to where is my hope? But then he redirects it back. And he says, but I will still praise you. And so that is still a, a part, right, of this process as you're analyzing it to redirect your heart. The other thing I want you to do, the second thing, so analyze your hope. Number two, pour out your heart. That's what he says in verse four. I can't say it any better. I just copy what he said. Therefore, I pour out my heart. And quite frankly, while he writes that here specifically in verse four, all of Psalm 42, these entire 11 verses are honestly a masterclass at pouring out your heart. It's a beautiful and profound thing what this writer here is doing because he's being 
honest about what's going on. He's talking to himself. He's redirecting his desperately wicked heart. And if you're in a dry season or you will be in a dry season and you're just, man, you're not getting anything out of worship when you go to church, still don't miss it. You need to be there so you can pour out your heart to God. Man, I'm not getting anything out of my Bible when I open it up. Well, still open it up. Don't miss it. And if God is feeling distant and far and absent, then pour out your heart to that seemingly far and distant and absent God. But don't miss it. Don't forsake it. Don't give up on it. Lean into it as opposed to leaning away from it. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Peter says, cast all of your anxiety on God. Why? Because he cares for you. We can bring those things to him. He's pouring his heart out to God. So analyze your hope, pour out your heart. And the third and final thing I want to encourage you to do if you're in a season of spiritual dryness is find a way to remember. Find a way to remember. In verse six, he says, my soul is downcast. Therefore, I will remember. What's he remembering? He's remembering God's loving kindness. He's remembering the many times in his life where God has shown up. Because here's what happens. We do this as humans. And maybe I say we, but maybe I just mean me. But we get this thing called spiritual amnesia. Have you guys, has anyone ever seen the movie Finding Nemo? You know, with the bluefish Dory that forgets everything two seconds later. That's what we do in our own lives spiritually, right? I am guilty of it. We forget the ways in which God shows up in our lives again and again. So find a way to remember. This is my family. I showed you them earlier, right? My second born, the chocolate in the mouth kid, Jude, when he was born, he was born uh, two weeks early. And so as just a standard practice for babies who are preemie and underweight, he went and spent the first two weeks of his life in the NICU. And again, nothing super crazy, nothing super to be alarmed about with that. But when you have a baby, they, they draw a little bit of blood and then they run a series or a smattering of different tests to just screen for different illnesses, diseases, irregularities, whatever. And so the NICU stay was like hard. I mean, like we were 45 minutes away from the hospital. So it was 45 minutes one way. And we had, you know, already had Hudson. So we're trying to figure out childcare kind of every day. Where, where can he go and stuff like that. And so uh, that's getting difficult. But about halfway, like the halfway point. So we didn't know how long it was going to be, but it ended up being two weeks. So halfway point in there, the doctor comes in and says, hey, I need to tell you something. They close the door. It's all ominous. Like you knew it was going to be bad. And they said, hey, Jude flagged positive on his infant screening for an illness that if he in fact has it, he won't live to see the age of two. Like just immediate gut punch, right? And we enter in at that point for the next three months of our lives into these different series of testing and, and trying to figure out and kind of get to the bottom of what's going on with him. And you have to wait for insurance to approve things, right? All, all the rigmarole of all that. And what made it worse was two different times they would call us 
and say, hey, guess what? Like, he's fine. You don't have to worry about anything. And then the next day, the real doctor, because this was like a really rare disease who understood it better, he'd call and he'd be like, actually, they gave you wrong information. We're still not out of the woods yet. That happened two different times. So you see this tug of war, just like Psalm 42, right? Back and forth. And we were upset emotionally. Our community had been disrupted kind of due to like newborn phase and hospital visits and all the things. The circumstances of life were leaving us just reeling and disillusioned and wondering like what's going on. Physically, it took a toll on our bodies. And so there we were immediately ushered into this season of spiritual dryness. And I remember during that time, I would pray prayers like this. I would say, God, if you heal Jude, I will fill in the blank. All kinds of different things. I would say, God, I will always proclaim your goodness. God, if you heal Jude, I will tell his story forever. God, if you heal Jude, I will trust in you forever. I will never question or doubt you again. Fast forward to today. God intervened in Jude's life miraculously. He's completely fine. The doctor called us one day and said, hey, listen, he's great. You don't have to worry about it. And you never have to hear from me again. And I was elated because I didn't like talking to that guy. I mean, he seemed like a nice guy and all, you know, but I didn't want to talk to him anymore. He kept giving bad news. It was a celebration. But you know what happens? The prayers I prayed where I said, God, I will always this, I will always that. Sometimes I still forget. Right? Sometimes I shy away from telling Jude's story because honestly, it feels really dramatic. Sometimes I lose trust in God, not like losing my faith, but just trust that God has the situation. And sometimes even I get annoyed at Jude. Like a couple days ago, he wanted me to peel a banana for him and I peeled it the wrong way. Boom, tantrum. And I remember two, three years ago when this was, and I was begging God, God, save my son. And now if he annoys me, I forget, right? I get spiritual amnesia, I'm Dory. And I don't know if you're that way too, but I wanna challenge you to look at what the psalmist does Find a way to remember. And during that time with Jude, I went on a lot of prayer walks. We made a lot of hospital drives and I built this Spotify worship playlist and I would sing it and I would praise it because sometimes I didn't even know how to say it or what to say. And I made this picture, the thumbnail of my Spotify playlist. And it's at this point, it's a five-year-old playlist. So it's buried, but sometimes I'll be scrolling and I'll see it and it immediately takes me back and both in a a emotional and kind of like oh man that was hard but also in a good way like God you showed up in my life this is a version of an altar that I can build in my life and remember how God showed up we may be feeling spiritually dry but where are the times where you can proclaim and remind yourself of the goodness of God here's the good news The psalmist didn't have this at his disposal, but we do. Jesus came and died a gruesome criminal's death on a cross so that you and I can experience a full and abundant life. He doesn't want you to be dry. He wants you to draw near to him so that he can draw near to you. While the psalmist didn't have the example of Jesus, we do. And so we have the opportunity to turn to him. And maybe this entire message you're realizing, man, I don't even have that relationship with him. Like the reason I'm feeling that way is because I don't know him. And I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Will you bow your heads with me?
with every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in a season of dryness, maybe it's because you don't know Jesus yet. And in the, the quietness of this room, in the quietness of this moment in your heart, if these words I'm about to say reflect what's going on in your heart, I just wanna challenge you to repeat them quietly in the quietness of your seat after me. It would go something like this, God, I know that I am a sinner. And God, I know that I need something to get me out of this rut that I'm in. God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, was raised to life. You raised him to life. And Lord, today, for the first time, I wanna put my faith and trust in you. With every head still bowed, every eye still closed, if you just prayed that prayer, welcome, welcome to the family of God. God gives us a free invitation to put our faith and trust in him. You may have done that years ago, but maybe the rest of us, you're in here and you're like, man, I am feeling spiritually dry. Like I am in that moment. I am in that desert. I just wanna pray for you real quick. And I just wanna pray, God, that you will help anyone in this room, anyone within the sound of my voice to use this season to analyze their hope, to use this season to cry and pour our heart out to you. And God, maybe you would give us a moment, a way, a token, a Spotify playlist, thumbnail picture, a phone background, God, something to remember your goodness and your faithfulness. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can draw near to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.